Welcome to the Sound Girls Podcast. This is our 100th episode, and to celebrate, we have compiled a series of clips from past interviews that focus on one topic, advice. The first clip is from a recent interview with Wesley DeVore, who is an author and the marketing manager for Personas. I think as women in many in many industries, not just in ours, like we get imposter syndrome that we're not smart enough or we're not really qualified to do it, and that is not true. The best piece of advice I ever got when I was working in the industry was um, from a friend who worked in the movie industry, and he said, whatever they ask you, if you know how to do something, just say yes. And if you don't know how to do something, close the door after they hire you and get on the internet. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> That was very good advice, and I took it, and I was like, I can't do that. That's lying. He's like, that's what dudes do. That's what you should do. And uh, he was right, and I'm glad I followed his advice. Um, uh, now, especially since I've met everybody in Sound Girls, I would say also find you know other women in the industry and allies. Um, that's the best thing I can see in the industry that's changed is all these wonderful organizations that help you know smaller groups of us. Um, finding Sound Girls for me, like – brought me to Becky and um, our group of friends, which has been so special to me. And um, just having that connection with other women and knowing that this struggle that you have is the same that other people are experiencing is really helpful. So um, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, you're already like halfway there to having a, a good time in the audio industry because Sound Girls is just, it's tops in my book. Leave it to Wesley to give us an excellent shout out in our own podcast, which is absolutely okay with us. Uh, up next, we have Barbara Adams, a college professor and the Philadelphia Sound Girls chapter head. So I did a talk at a high school yesterday, and one of the students asked me, and I, I've never been asked this even by my own students, and I thought it was so poignant for a high school student to ask me. I'm not going to quote him because I don't know exactly how he asked the question, but basically he was saying, how do you measure success in this industry? Oh. And then he followed that up with, is it by how much money you make or that you work with really big stars? And I said, my reply to him was, well, I don't make a lot of money. And even though I've worked with a couple of really big stars, that's not how I've spent most of my career. Mm. But I love what I do. And that's something that you're going to have to find in yourself in this industry is how you measure your success is really going to be something that is special to you. Right. And so if you get into this industry to make money, you're going to be sorely disappointed, so disappointed. unless you are the, the like one percent who like gets to that point. Right. Um, I don't think there's any sound engineers who are like one percenters. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, more more along the lines of like a, a big producer or, you know, yeah. like have, have, have somehow like jumped that ladder. Right. That, to that side of it. I mean, even from an artist standpoint. They don't all make it to that pinnacle of like Beyonce or. And even if you do, if you are like a Beyonce level and you fucking hate right. what you're doing, is that right. success? Is that I don't, I don't think you would you get and... there if you like you wouldn't even get to that point. Right. Like, <laughs> um, but I thought that was such a cool question. And I like it really like wow. I mean, he kind of like made me like stop for a minute and was just like, wow. And, and like in that split second, I like 
totally evaluated my entire career. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm successful. We loved that story from Barbara because measuring success is absolutely a personal journey that we all have to take. In our next clip, Jeannie Montalvo shares her experience finding her passion again after having children. Jeannie is a Grammy-nominated audio engineer and radio producer. So what's your favorite part about your work? Because I now have two kids. Um, Mm -hmm. Kids, it doesn't really change anything, but like it does kind of take a minute, especially as the mom and like birthing two other humans (laughs) to like figure out who you are again. Um, And I just did a gig uh, in October that kind of reminded me of that like spark and that stuff that I used to love when I first got to New York and some of the projects that I would do. Um, You know, part of doing classical music was learning how to do remote recordings. Um, Mm. And so Mm -hmm. we used to do a lot of those. Like the thing that we did with Spike Lee that I did with Andreas, um, Mm. we took a remote kit and Spike was recording a scene for his movie, The Blood of Jesus, in a church and he had a live band and he didn't Mm want to have the band in post. He wanted to track the band as they played the scene and we were brought in to do that. And so like I spent a lot of my early years in New York doing those kind of gigs, like lots Mm -hmm. of remote, like long days, lots of setup, you know, two computers running with splits to make sure we had backups and all this stuff. Um, And so it had been a really long time since I'd done anything like that. And um, a colleague called me for a project that she was doing um, and she had worked with me um, I had brought her in for live from Latina USA, but also we had, we were on a panel together at Spotify, um, about studio stuff. And so, and I got to do that. And I remember it was, uh, in Williamsburg. So it was like right on the water and you could see the city and I had all my remote gear mm-hmm. and like, they were amazing musicians. She, she was actually the producer of the year for the Latin Grammys in 2018. So wow. the first woman to have won. Mm. Um, and I just remember like having one of those like New York moments and, and also like remembering what it was that really drove me to like really enjoy these moments because the, the musicians were insane. They were so good. And you get to record these like very unique moments like they're it's they're playing live and their energy that you get off of a live concert, which is, you know, something that we've all missed during the pandemic, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's very different, you know, and you have one opportunity to kind of like grab that moment. And so like there's a lot of adrenaline running and you're like, you know, running around, making sure everything is good. And so um, that, I think that's kind of like the the stuff that that really I enjoy the most about the job, um, which is part of the reason why I really enjoyed live radio in the beginning, because mm-hmm. the live aspect um, got my adrenaline running the same way that it would in these other gigs mm-hmm. that I used to do. So, <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Like the live thing is like the scariest thing for me. So like, I'm kind of like a post, <laughs> I'm a student of post. I'm like, keep, nice. keep it not live. <laughs> the adrenaline will kill me. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I don't know. It just, it keeps you on your toes. Juno Black is an audiovisual technology production expert. In this clip, she shares her experience as an early adopter for digital consoles. I started like looking at places where I could uh, learn and I just will go. And eventually a production company hired me 
and I started doing sound for money, um, I realized like how much more uh, sustainable would be to make a living as a sound engineer versus as a player in a band, at least in Colombia it was, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, a, I have been working with this company and at the time, uh, the digital mixing boards starting to appear. So Yamaha put uh, this digital mixing board called the Yamaha Pro Mix 01. And the Yamaha Pro Mix 01 was the first affordable 16 channel digital mixer. And I kept re reading it and I was like, this would be perfect. Cause like it had two compressors, you know, you can assign those to any channel or the master. It has 16 channels plus a stereo channel. So that would be 18 inputs. And uh, you could output a SPDIF stereo mix uh, into a DAT machine and will make a complete straight up digital path, which at the time, you know, like now people is like, oh, let's go analog, like, you know, <laughs> like all the classics, you know, but. You know, at the time you would, well, I, I remember walking in into the uh, radio station, like what it would be equivalent to NPR here, you know, right. and then having a Neve board, like laying on the side <laughs> in the entrance, you know, uh, and it would be, and they're like, yeah, we just got this, uh, a new excited automated board, you know, and they'll have, and, and they'll have a, this Neve board. Uh, just laying on the side because it was the old technology. I'd be like, uh, can I use that one? You know, right. and that's the that's in the high end, you know. But but in live sound, a lot of what you will see at the time, um, it would be a you know PV or Mackie mixers that were like noisy. When when the Mackie mixer came, everybody got it because it was way less noisier than the other mixers that they could have at the time without spending a lot of money. And there wasn't like that that kind of budget, like probably it was here at the time, I'm talking in the 90s, uh, there, wa there wasn't like those big budgets, like most people will have small budgets, you know? Right. So when I saw this board, I was like, that's my opportunity. So I got a loan and I bought the digital board and I bought a dad machine. And I had a whole bunch of like cheap mics, you know, uh, and I started doing recording and live sound with it. And people were like mesmerized because recordings were super quiet. You know, you will go digitally from one to the other. It will have a, 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 you know, you could mark and you could have a compressor on your master. So it will be like perfectly leveled. And when, uh, you go to a radio station and you play your dad, it will go directly digitally through their like whatever uh, a antenna they have or system like transmission system and it will sound so much better than most bands that were recording in eight tracks on cassette or like you know if they go to a studio it will be like a tascam 16 you know with 16 on a one inch and going through a mackie board like it will have a lot more noise right. but I, it wasn't multi-track it was just mixing stereo and that experience like taught me how to balance and, and record the band like live you know, and doing the live sounds, 
you know, I will come to the clubs and it will be the same thing. I will just connect my uh, mixer to the directly to the ramps and everybody's like, how is this so quiet? This is so clean and crisp, you know. Uh, nowadays, like everybody wants to go back to analog. And it, do, it makes sense because if you have high quality analog equipment that you have maintained, it does provide some sound. Like we want that dirtiness. We want right. that grain. We want that uh, character. You know, but uh, uh, but honestly, at the time, it was the best decision. And then, you know, I le- I've been working with digital boards since then. So even when I moved here, um, I remember uh, the Digico was just coming into the live sound uh, arena. And, uh, you know, they started touring with all of these uh, new digital boards and, um to me, it was very comprehensible. Like I, I could manage it uh, very fast. So people start hiring me because, like, I knew how to deal with those. You know, when the pan, uh, the the PM series uh, came, like the PM five D, and uh, then the M seven CL from Yamaha. You know, that kind of. I mean, especially the M seven mm-hmm. redefined the interface for uh, digital boards, and a lot of the boards yeah. now follow that pattern. Uh, uh, by including the touchscreen and including uh, like the banking, like the way it, it works on most modern digital desks. Um, so, so the people who at this point I probably was moving, had moved to New York. So in New York, I got a lot of work from venues that had these boards uh, right. because I knew how to deal with them, you know. Up next, we have Megan Clement, a UK-based sound engineer, sharing her wisdom on how to get started in touring. Honestly, I think the best way to get into touring would probably be just just get out there and get as much experience as you can. Mm-hmm. Start with venues. Um, there are venues everywhere, and there are sound engineers everywhere that are willing to take on an apprentice and just you know go and shadow, work for free for a little bit if you can. Um, and I, I took the route of going through an audio production company, um, which is one of the ways of doing it. So, you know, you go and work in the warehouse for a little bit. You learn about all the gear, um, you know, how it all goes together, how to fix it when it's broken. And then eventually you'll end up on the road as a freelancer, either for that company or with the knowledge that you've taken from that company. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's, I mean, there are a few ways of doing it. Some people, you know, come across a band that love them and just want to take them on tour, you know, as their sound engineer. And that's great, too. Um, I didn't really spend enough time in venues to to find that band. I just ended up Mm. straight in the warehouse and straight uh, onto the gear, um, learning how to use the gear. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, yeah, there are a couple of ways of doing it. In our next clip, we hear Emmy Award-winning Foley artist and sound editor Joanna Fang giving advice on how to get started in Foley and sound design. Um, it's a few things. I say the first thing is, you know, not everyone has a different path to get to Foley. There is no one prescribed way to become a Foley artist. However, I will say something to be very wary about and something to be very encouraging about is finding mentorship, right? So, and not just in the form of emails, I do mean in the sense of like actually apprenticing for another artist. Cause you could learn, you could, you could be taught 
more rapidly how things are done than it is for you to, I don't know, get a loan for half a million dollars and build your own Foley stage and try to cultivate your own uh, clients and try to learn how to do Foley all by yourself. It's like, there's such a wealth of information and there's so many people who want to share it, but there just aren't enough avenues and there aren't enough hours on the stage to fully immerse somebody into it. So for people who are interested in Foley, I tell them a few things. One, uh, practice, 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 practice. Like getting 10,000 hours in of just simply moving in sync with other people is very important. Two, uh, be empathetic. Read. Just be fully immersed in other people's cultures and viewpoints because that's going to be how at the 11th hour you're able to interpret someone's body language and the story and the experience and then come up with something that we haven't heard before. And the last thing I tell people is be ready to grow. If there's something that's working one day, but it doesn't work the next, it's okay to let go and try to find something new and refreshing to continue creating sounds. So I feel like with those three fundamentals down um, and with the right type of mentorship early, um, it's very feasible to, to make this a career and that not every young Foley artist out there needs to be a person from wealth who had the venture capital to go build their own Foley stage because the industry certainly isn't recruiting apprentices right now. The industry isn't recruiting young people. The industry isn't giving young people even a chance to learn Foley the way Foley was taught in the eighties and seventies. Right. So, inst right. So instead we have to make our own opportunity and in order to make your own opportunity, you know, some people say, do it at home, practice, like be an entrepreneur. And I tell them, whatever floats your boat, but do acknowledge that there is a wealth of information and there are plenty of people willing to give it. You just have to go find them and you just have to talk to them. I can listen to her voice for hours. And as she has such wonderful insight, you should definitely check out the full episode. Next up, we have Shalini a production sound mixer and sound designer sharing her wisdoms and offering suggestions on how to hone your craft. You know, if there's any advice I can give, it would be to not give up and to never stop learning. Uh, as cliche as it may sound, it is the truth. You've got to keep at it slowly and smartly. Like I took the film school and apprenticeship route. So if you have a mentor, someone to guide you, um, someone you can assist and learn from on the job. I feel like that can make all the difference. Also preparation, you know, preparation is key and it goes a long way. Study your craft well, read the script thoroughly, do tech scouts, know your gear in and out, keep updating yourself and keep experimenting, you know, do your homework, believe in your process. I can go on and on. <laughs> I love it. Bring all the advice. <laughs> Do all of this and, and you'll be good. But above everything else, like don't take yourself too seriously. Take good care of yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. And don't forget to live life and have fun. And if you have like other passion projects, try to find time for those. Like for me, it's making music and writing songs and you know, I produce dance pop. I love it. Um, and swimming. So like if you keep it fresh, it will keep you sane because the last thing you want to do is to get burnt out. And if you don't like what you're doing, it'll just become a huge drag and you'll start hating everything and everyone. <laughs> and, you know, underneath those headphones, you'll just become like a, a really bitter and cynical person. And you don't want that, do you? 
such great advice. We've all either been the angry sound engineer or been on the receiving end of an angry sound engineer. So uh, great advice on how to avoid that and move on. Next up, we have Chelsea Body. She is a Toronto-based freelance audio engineer and sound editor. Do you have like a single motto of advice that's like, yeah, lay it on us? I do. Don't be a dick. (laughs) No one wants to work with a dick. Doesn't matter how much you know, you can be the smartest (laughs) person. But if you're a dick, no one wants to work with you. Well said. Woo. You don't have to go to school to be in this industry. I mean, it helps in some cases. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people haven't gone to audio school who work in the industry. The main thing is networking and not being a dick. <laughs> learning, you do so much learning, so much more learning in the actual industry and doing the work than you will learn in a program in school. I think don't be a dick is my favorite advice right now. Sometimes you need to hear the hard thing in order to improve yourself. Our last clip is from Sherry Klein, a post-production and re-recording mixer for television and film. I guess I feel like at this point, it's my duty to do that. And I enjoy it because I enjoy the life and the passion of so many people. And I don't want them to make stupid mistakes. What's a stupid mistake? (laughs) (laughs) What's a stupid mistake? I'd say the biggest stupid mistake is people coming out of college and assuming that they know everything because they did so well in school and in their student projects. And then they walk into a facility and they're, they can't walk into the position that they want, of course. And so they have to start as a runner or they have to start as a gopher or in a different department or something like that. And they kind of begrudgingly take the gig and you can see it. And yet I can tell you stories about people I've met who have been coming up through the years who had to take menial positions in this facility And they did those menial positions so well that mixers took notice and started talking to the boss like, man, that guy orders food like there's no tomorrow. I mean, he comes in with menus at one o'clock. He says, let me know. He gets it. He puts it out there. I mean, or she, you know, it's like, whoa. Yeah, I know. Everybody's been talking about it. We're going to give him a student film to edit next week. Yes. Okay. That's how it happens. It doesn't have, or, you know, for somebody to show you something, you go, no, but we did it this way. Sorry, until you're in a facility under real life, you know, situations and deadlines, you know the language. You do not know Mm -hmm. the real stuff because real world is very different and it breaks every rule you ever learned. It really does. You know, and so when somebody (laughs) if somebody tries to be a know it all, it's like, take it in, take it in, sponge it in, because you can assimilate all of it and come out with your way. You know, take it all in. So that's the big stupid mistake that I you know, it's like people say, don't be a dick. Don't be a jerk. Don't be stupid. You know, oh, that's a hard one. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But it's 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 the biggest the biggest faux pas. And it's sort of like be passionate and show your passion in every task that you're given from small to large. It's the best advice I can give anybody. 
And also, you know, the big question is, how do I get into it? Be relentless. Don't give up. Thank you so much for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. That was our 100th episode. And here's to having 100 more in the coming years. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out the full episodes. You could find them wherever you found this podcast. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Working on The Matrix was probably my favorite because at the time we didn't know what that movie was going to be. But we knew something was going to happen. And to see the phenomenon that movie became was amazing. And then to be involved in the sequels, it's still the highlight of my career is just being involved in that. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel.